In this special podcast series, the Hindu Business Line, in association with the UNICEF, highlights some of the issues posed by climate change and see how we can tackle it. Pollution, climate change, and ecological destruction are some of the biggest issues we face in our lifetime. We can see some of the effects of climate change already. Be it more intense heat waves, floods, droughts, or natural calamities. As we observe the World Environment Day on the 5th of June, let us take a look at these challenges, the situation in India, and what can be done to reduce its impact. Hello everyone and welcome to Fighting Climate Crisis, a special podcast series on climate change in association with UNICEF. I am Nivedita Varadarajan. It is my great pleasure to introduce Sanskriti Menon, Senior Program Director at the Center for Environment Education. Thank you for joining us today, Sanskriti. Hi. Uh, Sanskriti, from a layman's point of view, climate change means that the earth is heating up because of pollution. How do you describe climate change? Uh, yes, Nivedita, that, that is uh, uh, right, of course. But, uh, you know, just to go into a little more detail. So uh, every day and in fact all the time as the earth goes around the sun, the earth receives energy from the sun and uh, this is reflected or radiated out into uh, space. But um, the layer of uh, air around the earth, which is the atmosphere, it retains some of the uh, sun's energy. And how much is retained is partly dependent on the gaseous composition of the atmosphere. And we've learned in school that uh, the atmosphere is mainly nitrogen, which is 78%, and oxygen, which is 21%, and, uh, you know, something else, you know, that's argon. And it's a very small fraction, uh, which is carbon dioxide and other uh, gases like nitrous oxides and methane and also water vapor, which is, uh, it's a very small fraction, but it uh, this small fraction has a major role in how much uh, heat is, in fact, uh, retained by uh, by the earth and by the earth's atmosphere. Uh, and what we see is that the quantity of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has increased over the last uh, 200, 250 years or so. And uh, that's really because of uh, more industrial manufacturing and transport. And uh, human society has been using more fossil fuels and that's oil and coal. And uh, these fossil fuels were uh, earlier buried in the earth. And when we extract and burn them, uh, the carbon that is trapped in them is released as carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And uh, also, you know, over the last 200 years or so, we see a lot of old forests are cut down. And as uh, these forests are cut down and burned, and as they rot, uh, you know, we often say that um, uh, trees take in oxygen uh, from uh, 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 carbon dioxide. And this carbon actually becomes the body of the tree. And if you cut down uh, an old growth tree, uh, that carbon gets uh, released back into the atmosphere. And so a lot of uh, forest clearance has taken place for the expansion of agriculture and infrastructure and human habitation. And this is also returning uh, back to the atmosphere. And so with this uh, more uh, amount of carbon dioxide, which is now there prior, uh, as compared to prior to the Industrial Revolution, there's also a few others like methane and nitrous oxide. So the composition of the Earth's atmosphere has changed and more of the uh, sun's energy is retained. And the blanket of air around the Earth is now a warmer blanket. And um, so scientific studies now show that, uh, you know, the Earth's temperature, which is about uh, 15 degrees uh, Celsius on an average, it has been rising due to human activities and especially over the last uh, 200, 250 years. This has led to a rise in the temperature of the Earth, which is called global warming. And uh, now, according to, say, the World Meteorological Organization, the world is at least about uh, almost a degree warmer than it was uh, prior to uh, industrialization. 
And, um, uh, you know, the planetary system is not only the atmosphere, but also the land masses and that is the continents and the oceans. And uh, this uh, climate change shows up not only in the atmosphere, but also on the ocean and uh, on the land. And um, uh, so uh, this uh, uh, the increase in carbon dioxide and um, uh, greenhouse gases, as they are called, has led to global warming, has led to changes in the atmosphere and on land and, and in the oceans. And um, yeah, so that, that's what is uh, uh, climate change. So the impact of climate change will be more heat waves, more floods, more droughts and other natural calamities, right? Yeah, yeah. So the possible effects that, uh, you know, we are seeing already, it is uh, an increase in the intensity of extreme events like uh, storms and heat waves. Uh, there is also the polar ice caps and the glacier melt and uh, uh, actually also a rise in uh, sea level. And uh, uh, so, I mean, climate change, the, you know, these sort of uh, large uh, storms and heat effects or the melting of the, these seem like really large planetary changes. What they actually manifest as uh, finally is really growing challenges to human health and safety and the quality of life and economy. So, uh, uh, but the other thing is that, you know, while climate change is global, the impacts are not really the same across the planets, uh, across the planet. Yeah, that's interesting because that's my next question to you. Uh, German, Watch, uh, German Watch is an international organization and they came out with a study in 2020, which is called the Global Climate Risk Index. And in that, they said less developed countries are quite severely affected by climate change when compared to industrialized nations. They also say that India has been severely affected between the time period of 1999 and 2018. Uh, it's not the only study which says things like this. And other studies says that India is home to 13 of the world's 20 most risk-laden cities. What is the overall impact of climate change in India? Uh, you're right. And, uh, you know, uh, there are several uh, sort of um, uh, interconnected and complex uh, reasons uh, for that. And, of course, we are seeing, uh, you know, extreme events like the recent uh, cyclones and uh, cloud bursts and glacier melt uh, in the Himalayas. And they're all very recent events and they've all led to uh, loss of life and property. And uh, uh, but the extreme events have a very serious impact on, uh, you know, the densely populated uh, areas that we have in both the coastal areas and then cities and even up in the mountains, uh, the number of people that are there in Indian, uh, uh, you know, villages and Indian cities uh, are, are, uh, uh, is, is larger, you know, so uh, the number of people who get impacted is uh, certainly uh, uh, quite a lot. And then you also see, uh, you know, because the uh, uh, the income levels or the um, number of people who are below poverty line and the buffers for uh, being able to tide over uh, some of the impacts, that is, um, uh, you know, much lesser. And uh, so the the uh, severe impact is not only because of uh, the uh, events that happen, which are uh, these extreme events, but there are also many kinds of uh, slower uh, events that we are uh, seeing. In cities, for example, you see more urban flooding and uh, the cities that have a lot of uh, built up area with hard surfaces. And uh, we see that, uh, you know, nala courses have been changed and river courses have been changed. And uh, with climate change, we see more intense rainfall. 
and uh, Chennai, of course, has experienced urban flooding uh, a lot, and Bombay and in Pune as well. We see flash flooding a lot as the built-up areas increase uh, the speed of rainwater. And but apart from these more dramatic uh, and catastrophic sort of uh, changes, there are also slower changes. So um, you, uh, you know, there's this recent report by the Indian Institute of uh, Tropical Meteorology, which suggests that uh, there is a lot of uh, stress and there's increasing stress on uh, natural ecosystems on agriculture output on uh, freshwater resources as well as the damage to infrastructure that we already spoke about. Now these are going to impact our food, our water, our energy and public health. You know basically the uh, the change in the in the uh, climatic regime it leads to changes in the life cycles of plants and animals and so you see erratic weather you see dry spells and these can cause say crop losses and uh, say even with the increase in the number of hot days like this IITM report says that the uh, number of hot days is likely to increase it has already increased over the last 25 to 35 years um, and uh, they are likely to continue to increase and uh, with the more number of hot days the milk production of the dairy animals goes down and uh, same way you know with the changes in the disease patterns of uh, crops and uh, also say with erratic rainfall the crop uh, may actually just get destroyed you know it could be because of disease it could be because of lack of uh, rain it could be because of an extreme event but this means that uh, you know uh, loss of income for the farmers and uh, the large proportion of farmers in India, uh, actually about 80% of farmers in India are small and marginal farmers uh, with less than five acres. And they have very little savings to tide over such losses. And what we see now is because of the increased, uh, you know, the pandemic situation, etc. Now it's become anybody that had some buffers in this situation that's, that's been really wiped out. It's and uh, so... Yeah, it's all gone. And uh, so with uh, very little savings and uh, loss of income, this leads to further impacts like malnutrition for children, and you know, the ill health that uh, people uh, uh, are experiencing. And uh, with climate change, you see that uh, the number of days of um, uh, for the different types of uh, you know mosquitoes that cause say chikungunya or dengue or malaria, uh, so the this, the mosquito is the vector here. The number of days that it is okay, the life cycle of the mosquito can carry out uh, that has increased, and the range of uh, you know uh, the places in India, the geography in India where uh, uh, the mosquito uh, can can uh, uh, you know can prosper, so to say. Uh, has also increased and this we are seeing then vector-borne diseases like uh, malaria and dengue and chikungunya is also increasing and uh, that means again that if you are ill and uh, you can't go to work and uh, that just uh, means that you have further loss of income and uh, so you might be you know just out for months two months three months because of illness as well and that pushes people who are already poor further into poverty. And I think that's uh, part of the reason that uh, the impacts on India are, uh, you know, likely to be much more severe. So it seems like fighting climate crisis is a, a needs a two-pronged approach. One is dealing with the side effects and the other is dealing with the causes. How do we prevent or minimize these calamities? The natural calamities, we can't do much, but the malnutrition, the loss of pay due to ill health, all those we can do something about, right? Yes, of course. What can the government do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, again, there is a sort of a two or threefold um, or multifold sort of response that is really needed. And uh, certainly one is, you know, the disaster management, which has actually improved uh, over the last decade or so, but it is still an area for 
constant vigilance. So, I mean, it's it's really unfortunate that um, uh, just, uh, you know, in the recent uh, cyclone on the West Coast that people were still out on sea and there were so many deaths. Even though we have uh, advanced warning uh, technology, we can, uh, we have early warning, but the management systems also need to be uh, very proactive to uh, save lives. So, I mean, while disaster management has improved, we really have to be very vigilant about it and uh, make uh, uh, no uh, effort should not be left spared to you know save lives. But uh, the other uh, uh, area to strengthen is uh, relief uh, uh, systems and financial support for loss and damage, and including for crop insurance. You know, now these are announced from time to time, but uh, of course there is a need to ensure that the benefits actually reach affected people. You know, often we find that only a few. Um, people uh, uh, benefit and the large number of people influential people get it probably yeah yes and uh, it doesn't really pervade to the most uh, the people who most need it and then uh, apart from immediate relief there is the need for um, longer term rehabilitation and uh, again like often uh, there are no schemes for long term rehabilitation from the government either and uh, uh, often it's the ngos and civil society groups that have been uh, you know there to help and step in uh, but the ability for civil society groups to operate is also kind of shrunk you know and uh, uh, Actually, what we need is uh, much more trust, much more uh, support for uh, people to be able to help themselves, people organizations to be able to help themselves, while also uh, government uh, support uh, and rehabilitation programs. It could mean alternative job opportunities, making small cash transfers or making some, uh, you know, alternative uh, job schemes available for people whose livelihoods have been disrupted. Uh, even education and training and reskilling uh, so that you're able to take on some new job or uh, really do better uh, have a better income from uh, you know rehabilitating the job that you have now but this is something that uh, uh, much more uh, detailed sort of planning is needed and these uh, platforms are often not really there and it, it really requires this uh, uh, really as we call the multi-stakeholder approach where uh, government local communities uh, civil society groups uh, different say academic and training organizations or uh, corporate support groups we can actually work together and really do locale specific you know so if i'm a coastal uh, village or a coastal city uh, the kinds of uh, uh, local planning that needs to be done to reduce uh, disaster risk is different from say something like a landlocked landlocked, landlocked city like pune needs but uh, these are things that we will need to figure out and uh, i mean these are not sort of that much of a rocket science there are some basic things that need to be done there are of course newer challenges that are there but unless we have those uh, platforms for discussing and really planning together uh, we are really um, uh, going to remain at risk so the other part another thing climate change issues is uh, addressing the causes to ensure that pollution and other causes are reduced india is one of the few nations which are on track to meet its paris climate accord agreement Yes, India has been proclaiming that India will achieve the Paris targets and, uh, you know, there's a lot of investment in uh, renewable energy and improving uh, electricity uh, sector. But on the other hand, we do see that coal mining is being encouraged, which is really going against uh, uh, green uh, recovery. So there is uh, much more that India also needs to do. And uh, uh, part of it is not only that uh, the central government needs to do, but also that the central government needs to enable state governments and city governments or municipal governments, they also have work to do. And, uh, you know, just uh, closer home talking about what uh, cities can do. 
now, of course, there is this uh, new clean energy vehicles uh, schemes, and okay, that's welcome. But much more really needs to be done in the area of urban transport, and this is something that uh, the central government, the uh, Ministry of Housing, the Ministry of Transport, uh, state governments, and uh, road transport corporations, and state transport corporations, and city governments really need to do uh, together. Uh, so public transport systems need to be really greatly enhanced. And uh, currently only very few cities, I mean, Chennai is one of them, do have organized uh, public bus systems. Uh, but the number of buses that, uh, say, MTC needs or, say, BEST needs or in Pune PMPML needs, uh, that often falls far short of what the city uh, uh, requirement is, you know, the, the number of uh, buses in... And in... the buses are... Sorry? And the buses are actually very, and the buses are actually quite old also. Yes, so the that's stock. That's also a factor to consider. That's right. The stock of buses, the type of buses, are they diesel polluting buses or they, uh, you know, clean buses? And uh, what we see is that with urbanization likely to continue, emissions from urban transport will arise. And so, of course, we need uh, investment in uh, urban public transport and especially bus-based uh, public transport and non-motorized transport. We also need good, inclusive street design and by inclusive i mean that you know often we find that street design might uh, take away hawkers and vendors but uh, you know these are it's like an ecosystem the street or the road is like an ecosystem you need to have hawkers and vendors and uh, they are again amongst the uh, you know the poorer segment of a city and if you take away their livelihood by say asking them to shift to somewhere else where they will not be able to uh, do their uh, livelihood then that's not that's not inclusive uh, economic growth so to say so a good uh, sort of public space good street design which is inclusive of shared transport with auto rickshaws or shuttles there's shade uh, along the trees and there's uh, hawkers and vendors on the streets and uh, you know the city is able to actually promote um, walking cycling uh, public transport and shared transport uh, that kind of uh, system and that kind of uh, regime is uh, really greatly needed and just now i think uh, cities are doing a little bit they really need to do city scale uh, such transport and land use planning which uh, really makes it possible for, for uh, people to not not even buy a private vehicle. Um, the other area is, uh, you know, urban planning and uh, building construction. And again, because uh, buildings is another, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 sort of uh, sector. Which, uh, heavily polluting industries and the energy intensity of um, uh, manufacturing absolutely needs to uh, improve. And uh, uh, when I was talking about also the building uh, energy construction, and uh, that's another area for city and state governments to act. For example, the Energy Conservation Building Code is something that state governments need to adopt. And, uh, uh, you know, so that the future buildings are more uh, energy efficient. And very few states like Telangana have adopted the ECBC, but most states have not. And um, uh, there, there is absolutely a need for this uh, climate science findings to be incorporated into uh, local action plans and, you know, to be able to conceptualize this uh, climate resilient uh, infrastructure and initiatives. I also want to talk a little about um, rural areas. And um, uh, since we spoke about uh, livelihood distress of uh, farmers, uh, so climate smart agriculture is something uh, which does reduce the energy intensity and it improves uh, climate resilience. And uh, uh, so I know that in Tamil Nadu, uh, climate smart agriculture is happening but much more support is needed for uh, many more farmers or you know the entire set of farmers to actually transition to climate smart uh, agriculture what this means is uh, you know, more localized more uh, resilient uh, seed and planting material uh, lesser external input i mean the pesticides and 
fertilizers which have to be transported over large distances instead of that much more localized um, uh, inputs for agriculture and then is the uh, supply chain you know uh, and uh, this uh, is something that uh, is is quite an interesting area because um, so uh, 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 temperatures are rising and uh, you know food is uh, after it's produced from the field it is uh, sort of uh, aggregated and transported to cities but you find that food loss is quite a serious uh, sector you know, almost 30 to 40 percent of uh, food that is produced by the time it uh, reaches uh, say the from the farm to the fork 30 to 40 percent losses is what we see so the supply chain from the production to consumption needs to really address uh, food loss and uh, so this uh, uh, is an area that uh, you know the the transport of food that needs to become more uh, energy efficient the cooling of food like fruits vegetables etc uh, that needs to be climate friendly and it needs to be in the first place available so today like cooling is not available is not really um, put in place you know the systems are not put in place so now pack houses which are very close to the village itself and smaller pack houses where uh, cooling is uh, there with uh, climate friendly and uh, renewable energy uh, so that farmers are able to save their produce and then uh, they can uh, transport it to uh, cities and uh, you know uh, directly cutting out uh, perhaps um, uh, inefficient uh, systems and uh, uh, take it to more local uh, uh, consumption uh, areas so to say so the relationship between a rural region and an urban region that needs to become much more holistic and uh, sort of uh, climate friendly in a sense and um, uh, so uh, 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 climate friendly production and consumption is again an area that's uh, necessary for uh, more climate resilient uh, economy. Uh, one more thing that I personally feel uh, quite strongly about is uh, the uh, opportunities and the ability for say young people, professionals, people in cities and uh, everywhere else to be able to really talk to each other and have the opportunity for learning and engagement in understanding about climate change and really uh, developing the systems thinking of, uh, ability uh, to uh, understand climate change as well as act together. You know, this, uh, as, uh, as stress has increased, the ability to work with each other and uh, to uh, learn uh, uh, new things because these, uh, there's a difference between what our traditional knowledge was and uh, to be able to use both traditional knowledge as well as new scientific knowledge, be updated about it and to collaborate and uh, work with each other to find solutions. Uh, now, the platforms for this, often we see that in cities that these just don't exist, but we really need to be able to create uh, uh, such platforms which are uh, for uh, learning together and for acting together. And I feel that uh, this is something that all of us as uh, city dwellers or uh, wherever we are, uh, we need to really act upon this, you know, and maybe that's something that is a message perhaps that uh, uh, we can all take and try in our own ways uh, to, to work together and learn together. Thank you, Sanskriti, for joining us today. India is always facing the heat quite literally when it comes to dealing with climate change. Here's what we learned today. Firstly, we learned that we are already seeing the impact of climate change around the world, but it is seen more in developing nations, including India. Secondly, climate change impacts not only the economy, there's a social aspect as well. The poor are impacted more compared to the rich. 
for once the rich have some sort of security to fall back on some can even afford to move away from places if uh, if there are frequent floods or droughts where will the poor go the government must not provide aid only during calamities but also take steps to reduce the long term impact of climate change on the life of the people finally we learn that india is doing a lot to tackle some of the causes but there's a lot to be done governments both central and state must focus on urban transportation they must plan cities better and they should make agriculture more resilient we also learn that education on climate change is important we will be back with another interesting episode next week if you have any feedback write to me at nivedita.v@hindu.co.in be sure to log in to the hindu business line for all the latest news and updates thank you very much for joining us today